0: Welcome to Squawk. My name is Luke. I'll be your host today. And of course, my guest today is Dr. Brian Nixon. And as you know, if you've been listening to any of our previous podcasts, we have a list of questions. We roll a die and we take whatever question falls into our lap with no prep. We've covered some really crazy topics, as you might already know, if you've been listening, such as who's the woman in Revelation 12 or can women be pastors? Why or why not? And I'm not going to list all of them, but there's a number of episodes. And so we're going to go ahead and um, get right down to it. But I do have a couple of things that we wanted to address, as this is student questions at Calvary College. That's where the name Squawk comes from. I did want to say a word about Calvary College briefly. We are entering into the end of fall semester 2022. Which means for those of you who may be interested in enrolling in spring 2023, now is the time to go take a look at the offerings that we have both on campus and off campus. Some of you may want to say, hey, now we'd love to come on campus, but we live in Montana or Wyoming or Louisiana, wherever it may be. We have online offerings as well. So you have the option to do either, depending on how closely located you are to the campus. So don't forget about those things as you look at this upcoming spring semester and where the Lord may have you complete your next step in your preparation for him.
1: Speaking of online and a little bit of a distance, you have recently told me, Luke, that we have a couple of downloads from Australia. People from Australia are listening to the broadcast, the podcast, and downloading it. Maybe you could tell um, our listeners how to download or go to um, and listen to these broadcasts.
0: Yeah, it's a great call out. You'll find this podcast on Spotify, we're on Google, we're on Amazon Music, we're on probably seven or eight different platforms for all of those who are avid podcast finders. There's one, I think it's Podcaster, we're on Deezer as well. So we're almost anywhere that anyone might want to be looking for a podcast like this one. We're also on Transistor, mm. which is basically the main platform that pushes our podcasts out. And if you want to follow us on Facebook, it's Calvary College with Skip Heidzig. That is our Facebook page. And you'll notice that every week that we're putting out a new podcast, which pops on Friday of every week, I I have it set to go out at eight o'clock on Friday. And what I've noticed is that the push normally happens around eight to eight 15, somewhere in there, you'll see the new podcast announcement pop up on Facebook and Instagram because we're on both of those. So follow us, check it out. You'll get the posts as soon as they pop and they have a link that'll take you directly to the podcast where you can start downloading and
1: listening. It's awesome. That's awesome. And it's good to know. And we do thank the listeners in Australia. That's 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 really cool. That's cool. But Luke, it's the exciting part of the broadcast, the podcast (laughs) where we roll the die. All right. Well, here we go. It looks like it's Uh, a six. It is a six.
0: I don't think we've had a I
1: I don't think we have had a six. So this is pretty exciting. Luke and I do take note of the numbers that we get. And sometimes they repeat. (laughs) But this one may be a first. If it's not, it's just a second. So exactly right.
0: What do we have? Oh, boy. Every week we always jump into something. Our, our folks give us such great questions, but we we may end up stepping into various levels of controversy, which I'm sure you <laughs> as our listeners enjoy. But question number six, is the rapture before, during, or after the tribulation?
1: Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the easy answer. Yes. No. <laughs> Again, as is our practice, Luke, we, we give a big picture. And then we hone down to, to maybe where Calvary's, um, Calvary College sits to give a, a specific answer. So throughout church history, all three of those options have been viable options based upon their hermeneutic, how they interpret right. the text. Calvary's, by and large, believe in what's called a pre-wrath rapture. So the rapture, Calvary's contend, would happen before the tribulation. There are other individuals out there who believe in what's called a mid-trib position, that about halfway through the tribulation, Christians are raptured. Then you get what's called a post-trib position that contend that Christians go through the tribulation, and then they are snatched up in conjunction with the second coming of Christ. So the second coming and the rapture happen simultaneously. So those are the three major positions. And guaranteed, Luke, we live in a world where there's themes and variations on all of those. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. someone could go, I'm a pre, pre, tri, you know, or I'm almost a pre, you know, oh. I'm, I'm a two year, you know, guy or, or something. Have
0: you heard about the partial rapture? Oh, yeah. We'll have to at least touch on that yeah. at some point during the cast. Yeah. That's, that's a really fun one.
1: Yeah. I, and so there, <laughs> so the church is broad and big and there are a variety of viewpoints and opinions. So interestingly enough, um, one of the earliest church documents that we have that is not scripture, though it was in highly regular use within the early church, is the didache. Mm. The didache was an early, for the most part, church manual on how Christians should be living um, and doing, you know, living as Christians. And so it was very much a as i said a manual and in the very last part of that they do talk about christ's second coming and it seems again you can't say this with 100% certainty but it seems to indicate that um, this group of christians believed in what we'd call a post tribulation that the the rapture and the second coming are simultaneous though there are other groups that you know that you would seem to pull some different things Here's something we need to remind our listeners and all Christians, and that is in the earliest church, let's say for the first 200 years, not every Christian community had the entirety of the scriptures. So you may have a group of Christians, let's say in modern day Turkey, who didn't have the book of Revelation. They may have been missing, you know, 2 Peter. They may have been missing Hebrews but they had Paul's epistles in the gospel. And, and just a
0: word on that in particular, some of you may recognize this as what we would call the antulogamena. Mm-hmm. These books were disputed, and so it wasn't necessarily that they weren't being circulated, but certain bishops of certain areas did not consider them initially to be part of the canon Could be right. because of their late generation, et cetera. But some communities were missing them, not because they're not the word of God, but because it just took a longer time to recognize.
1: That's exactly right. And, and, and that is one of the reasons why there really is a diverse understanding of the rapture within the early church is because different people were, were stressing or, or emphasizing different books. So all that said and done, when you use something like the didache, you could conclude that either A, they had the book of Revelation, but just clearly came down on what we would know as a, a post-tribulation a position, or... They did not have the book of Revelation really at their disposal and, or as you just alluded to, their bishop, the senior pastor over the the area was saying, hey guys, we don't know that we should be reading this yet. So all of that goes to say, 2,000 years ago, just like today, there's differences of opinion regarding when the rapture is. One of the the key texts, Luke, as you know, and as a matter of fact the didache does make reference to this is 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And 1st and 2nd Thessalonians are undisputedly written by the Apostle Paul. And, you know, some people would say 1st Thessalonians is unquestionably one of the earliest books written. Some would contend that 1st Thessalonians is the earliest book written by Paul because they say, well, there's a big change in his his emphasis from, let's say, that to, you know, First Timothy or something else of that nature. But it's in First Thessalonians that we get um, not only the, you know, a clear teaching on the rapture, but it's also an area where there is some point of confusion regarding it. And I'm trying to flip through it and I'm talking to you at the same time. So once I get to First Thessalonians, I'm going to read the section why people get kind of, uh, you know, confused over how to best interpret it. And I'm here, but my fingers are not working. So, here we are. 1 Thessalonians 5. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety and then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should not take you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. You are not of the night or of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So what what we clearly get from right here is that Paul, at least in this text, is saying that Christians are aware of some sort of happening, some sort right. of of occurrence. And, you know, he clearly says, you guys, you're not like, you know, the other people who don't know what's going on. You guys know one day that um, Christ is is going to return. And, and then he gives on some, you know, really practical type things to be there. So the first thing to note when we're dealing with the rapture of the second coming is that Christians, We've been told that it's gonna happen, that we're we're not we're not gonna be oh, we didn't know about this, that that it's gonna be clear. But why look up the next passage, Luke? Go ahead and chime in on things. So
0: I think that's a great place to start because if this were not an important doctrine, then we wouldn't find it mentioned in the Pauline epistles. Mm-hmm. We find a lot of things that were initially given, say, for instance, are mentioned in the gospel because we find discussion of what we call eschatological things, the study of last things mentioned by Jesus himself in the last chapters of some of the gospels, Matthew in particular is a popular place and we'll come back and touch on that later. Then when Paul goes in and he, he seems to develop this, it's not something that's original with him. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's building on a foundation so much so that in some of the passages he speaks to what they already know. And we're sort of sitting there guessing like, well, what, exactly did they know and and who told them and how they find out and and a lot of people have tried to fill in that gap and saying well this is what they knew and this is how Mm -hmm. they knew it and there is some of that in scripture that we can find but paul's writings the opening of second thessalonians he builds on it and he says i already wrote to you about this before Mm -hmm. so that you're not confused i don't want you to think that it's already come Yeah. Is how he opens up, I think, Second Thessalonians.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And then and then when we get to this section, you know, Paul's clearly saying, you guys are aware. So so the question is, what is it that we're aware of? I mean, chapter five is what I started off with. But then when we back up into four is what it is that Paul says that we should be aware of. And here's what it says in chapter four, beginning in verse 15. It says, For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive. And remain until the coming of the lord will by no means precede those who are asleep for the lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of god and the dead in christ will rise first then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up And that word caught up is where we get the word rapture yes. the, the latin translation of that greek word is rapturus. We shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet in the lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the lord therefore comfort one another with these words so paul in chapter 5 says we know something's gonna happen but in chapter 4 he explains to it but here's where the problem rises is there's different viewpoints of what paul is talking about in chapter 4. so those who believe in post-tribulation that the second coming and the rapture are simultaneous They would say, well, in verse 16, it says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. This is a loud endeavor. This isn't a quiet, silent rapture like you pre-people are saying. With the voice of an archangel, anytime in scripture you hear archangels or something, it's, it's a loud occurrence. And with trumpets of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So what they're saying is they're going, guys, you... Pre-tribulation people, you, you believe in this kind of silent rapture that you know, all of a sudden Christians are going to be gone, but the, the text doesn't tell us that. The text says it's loud and it's going to involve archangels and trumpets and people are going to know what's going on. So they said then the Christians will rise up, Christ's second coming, they meet in the air, and then Christ comes you know, down for the, the millennial kingdom. So the post-tribulation people would say, this text clearly supports a post-tribulation understanding of the rapture, that the rapture and the second coming are simultaneous. The pre-tribulation people would go, oh, now now wait a minute. You know, what's to say that Paul is not talking symbolically here? Um, So the shout and trumpets do you really think they're, you know, angels are going to be coming playing trumpets and so on and so forth? So there's obviously some sort of symbolic language happening here. Again, this is what the pre trib people would say. So you can't just necessarily jump to the conclusion that it's going to be this loud ruckusy affair with, you know, a jazz band playing in the back with their trumpets and so on and so forth.
0: Or or even to the point where even if we were to concede, well, it's not a silent thing. That's sort of it's almost been a become a pejorative where they're like, oh, the, the secret rapture, mm-hmm. and they, they say, oh, you know, Darby and his, his ilk got this thing floating around, and then they'll, they'll point to this passage, and they'll say, well, look, you know, it's obviously not silent, but the thing about that is, is that we have other events in scripture where there were angelic manifestations, where there were loud voices from heaven, and we have no indication that there was an understanding by the people who were present Mm-hmm. Saul's Damascus conversion is one example. even the Mount of Transfiguration or Jesus's baptism. there's several places where God speaks from heaven, and people says they heard thunder or they heard a voice and they didn't know what it was or they heard the sound of a voice,
1: but didn't understand what it was saying. I guess for our listeners, what we're showing you is that hermeneutically of interpreting a text sometimes can be a little bit difficult, you know, with different people. So there are people who, clearly look at the one passage that, you know, uses the word rapture in it, which is here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and they'll interpret it different ways depending on, you know, how they do it. And as you just clearly and eloquently said, there are other places in Scripture where, you know, voices or trumpets are used, but it's not necessarily in a silent manner, but it, it still has the same power. But here's the key, I think, that you alluded to at the very beginning, is that this isn't the only text in all of Scripture that alludes to it. That there are other texts that we would need to look at and apply the same hermeneutical principles to try to get a firmer understanding of what is going on here. Because again, though... This is really the main text that uses the word rapture in it, chapter four. It's not the only text that has allusions to it. And so it's important that when we start to look at the rapture, I think most Christians, I'm not going to say all, but I would say most believe in a rapture of some sort. Again, whether it's pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, they believe in it but they don't agree on when it will happen or how it will happen so we have to step back and go here are the other verses or other scripture texts that would help inform our understanding of this passage
0: and just real quickly for those of you who may be frustrated with all the different level of detail it's something that's present in almost any far future prophetic discussion because probably in no other area of interpretation do we show our ignorance so much than when we're talking about things that haven't happened yet. And so there's, there's much of that. There was a gentleman that I went to college with many years ago in my undergrad and and he said he was getting frustrated with the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so we had been, we had just come out of studying millennialism, the post-mill, pre-mill, ah-mill. And he said, you know, he said, I don't know about this whole thing with the pre-trib and the post-trib and the mid-trib because I think I'm just going to go a-trib. Yeah, <laughs> and I said, well, that's not I, a position, I, but I get what you're coming. Yeah, from. I've I've
1: heard other people say pan-trib. <laughs> it's all going to pan out in the end, right? I, I, you know, you guys could argue over it, but we're just going to let let the Lord, um, you know, deal with it. But you're right, and and Luke, you're spot on because there are times, particularly when there are great Christians who are looking at the exact same text and come to different positions. And that's where I've said over and over, and we've even said it in these podcasts, you know, at times we do need to have a humble hermeneutic where we approach a text and say, to the best of our ability of understanding, it, using the historical grammatical method of hermeneutics, to the best of our ability, this is where we stand. However, we clearly know other people take different positions. Um, they may have... Those hold those positions strongly, it doesn't mean they're not Christian. It just means that we have differing positions on this. And this is one of, of those su- subjects and topics. You know, particularly, and there are other people, you know, in, within the body of Christ who don't even like to use the word rapture. And you know that because it's so divisive. So as we've pointed out, that word caught up um, there in Greek is, is harpazo. We get, that's the Greek term, harpazo. Well, the Latin translation of it is rapturus, which means caught up. So there are those who, who contend and say, you know, you guys are looking at a Latin translation. You should really say it's the great harpazo. And what does that mean to be caught up together, um, you know, in the sky? And, you know, at that point, it's semantics. It's going, well, that's, you know, it's a translation. The English is a translation of, of harpazo. So, you know, I think that's a mute point of saying don't use the word rapture because it's really the, just a Latin translation of a Greek word. Well, then maybe we shouldn't use the word caught up either. You, you or, know, what about baptizo? Yeah. Ex- I mean, the ex-
0: Vulgate was only used for a thousand years. There may be a reason why people use the word it, rapture. It,
1: it, exactly. And, and so, so, you know, going back to the point of of, you know, the one scripture text where it clearly spells out rapture or harpazo, you know, there, um, we have to go to other texts for the rapture. And that's where it gets even more interesting. And let's just be honest, Luke, you and I both know this. There are the same group of people would approach those same texts differently, and they would usually interpret them in accordance with their, their particular position. So you know, the the question is, you know, what are some of the other texts out there that would support an understanding of the rapture? But before we do jump on in. Luke. Yeah, be- before we
0: jump into to those, unfortunately, as you know as our audience, that we only have 30 minutes to deal with this and our time has been ticking away so oh, yeah. quickly because it's such a great subject. So what what I'm gonna ask us to do Is we're gonna have to pivot on this just so we can get sort of a for and against on all three positions. So I I would I want to get into Second Thessalonians so bad right now. But if we could, let's let's just do a for and against on pre, for and against on mid, for and against on post. Just yeah. and see if we can get it in before, you know, the next seven, eight minutes. Yeah, and
1: let me just throw out just a couple of scripture, other references that, that you know, we've already dealt with 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, but uh, look up Revelation three 10. Doesn't use the word rapture, but it really talks about keeping people from the um, the time of trial. Um, Matthew 24, one through 51, Jesus clearly talks about the end times scenario. One will be left, one will be taken away. 1 Corinthians 4, 1552, in the twinkling of eye at the last trumpet, Mm -hmm. the dead will be raised imperishable, but we shall be changed. First Thessalonians 5.2, Titus 2.13, the list goes on and on. And the only point I wanted to to, um, bring out is that there are other scripture verses you would look within the totality of the New Testament to understand that the rapture is taught in principle. They may not use the word rapture, but it is taught in principle. And let me just throw out one other thing, is in Pastor Chuck Smith's book, which I I was honored to work on um, with him, it's called Final Act. And at the back of each section, so there's a section on the rapture, there's a section on the tribulation, there's a section, you you get my point, all the the different um, last day type events, there are other scripture references that people could look up and go study for themselves. Mm. So I would encourage someone to pick up the final act um, because it, it is a helpful resource. But now, now back to the pros for a pre, pre-wrath. You know, there's many. And, you know, we could tell people to go to listen to Pastor Skip's teaching on this as well, where Absolutely. he addresses some of the, the pros of, of this position. Not only is there a scriptural, a scriptural basis for it, but I think one of the clear things is the tribulation is a time of, of severe punishment and judgment and you know like noah's was taken away in the ark during a time of great severe punishment this he would be a future forecast of what christians may be during the end times that the the judgment will be upon the earth and unrighteousness and sin and christians are not part of that now the rebuttal to that is saying well God hasn't spared Christians through other waves of deep persecution, be it the the persecution in the early church during the middle ages, you you know, even today. But the, the response to that is, yeah, but this is, this is a, at a whole new level. This is would be akin to Noah and the ark. So that's, that's one of the major things for a pre tribulation that we are kept away from this time of wrath.
0: And just a quick, Point on that because we don't, again, we're just going to hit this real quickly. The reason for that is not some have said, you know, that Christians are afraid or, you know, they're making something up so that they don't have to deal with what's actually being talked about in Revelation. You know, we're using it as a crutch, et cetera. There's all these pejoratives that come in about that. But largely, the book of Revelation deals with an extremely important prophetic event called the last week of Daniel. Mm-hmm. There's 69 weeks that have been fulfilled, there's one week that's left. The church. Because of our dispensational understanding of Scripture that we've talked about previously, the people of God in every era are not the church and vice versa. And therefore, when we talk about not going through the tribulation period, we're talking about the tribulation period being something that is specific to Israel. Mm -hmm. And it is God's final fulfillment of preserving a remnant for them fulfilling the preparation for the millennial kingdom in which he's going to fulfill other promises that were given to him. And we've talked about his faithfulness to his covenants before. So what we see is not that we're trying to exclude ourselves from something that we deserve or the church is going to, it's that it was always about Israel. And the church is a parenthetical time period in which the gospel has gone to the Gentiles. And then God will come back and deal with Israel in those last seven years, mm-hmm. as he mentions there. And so that's that's a huge reason why, yes, we're not going to go through the wrath because he told us we weren't, but there's a far deeper reason and a more powerful reason as to why the church really doesn't have any business in the last week of Daniel.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that's a very important point to bring up is that the reason why pre-trib folks adhere to this position is because of prophetic fulfillment. Yes. We adhere to this because the totality of prophetic fulfillment seems to indicate that this is the way it should go. Again, I like how you said it. It's not to save our hind side, you know, and go, yeah, even though that's like, yeah, that, that, that is <laughs> nice. But it right. really is to fulfill a greater purpose, a greater, you know, prophetic fulfillment.
0: And I, I'd say the same thing about the mid-trib. That's for me, that's my primary against. The mid-trib is largely something where they're saying, well, we're pre-wrath just like you guys are. But we're pre-trib, and pre-trib and pre-wrath are not always the same thing. Everybody who believes in a pre-trib believes that it's going to happen before the wrath of God hits, but not everybody who believes in a pre-wrath position believes it's going to happen before the tribulation. And they make a dichotomy, as Revelation does, between the beginning and the end of the trib, and say until the time of severe punishment, which they believe to be the last three and a half years, the church can be up to that point, and we're going to be taken out before the actual unmixed wrath of God comes out, which we would think is somewhere around the seventh Mm -hmm. trumpet judgments perhaps, or maybe the bowl judgments uh, all the way up to there. And so that's that position. Um, I'd say the same argument for me anyway, applies to that saying we don't have any business in the last week of Daniel Yeah, and no matter how you slice the cake. And then if you want to take the, the post-trip, I have an against that I want to bring up, but
1: well, the the pro we we've already we've already discussed I think pretty yeah. clearly that they look at the one place where the the term is used and they're saying this is clearly not a silent quiet rapture as you guys are contending that this is allowed um, you know th- this is this is really simultaneous with the second coming um, other than the scripture text. There's really not a lot of other pro standings on it because it's like, (laughs) yeah, you know, we're going through the post-trib position would also say that when you get to places in John, you know, the overcomers, you know, he who overcomes through all of this will be, you know, saved and so on and so forth. But even that interpretively has some problems within it. But jump in because I know we are almost out of time. Right.
0: So my understanding is that the biggest issue with this, aside from... The, the merits of the other pre-tribulation things that we've talked about. You can make a stronger case for pre-trib from the scriptures than you can for post-trib simply because it looks like there's a convergence of two events doesn't necessarily mean that that's what's happening. But there's a huge mechanical issue because as we understand, when the Millennial Kingdom begins, only believers are going to the Millennial Kingdom. All unbelievers at that point have been killed and are under judgment, et cetera, due to the battle of Armageddon and the other judgments that are handed out with the sheep and the goats before the millennial kingdom begins. Right, right. And so you have a major problem if everybody at that point gets glorified because we're all raptured, and 1 Corinthians 15 makes it clear that everybody who's raptured, whether you're resurrected, you're given a glorified body. And according to Christ's teaching, when you're in your glorified body, you're neither married or given in marriage. Mm -hmm. And that means there's no more procreation from those who are glorified. And yet we find very clearly in the millennial kingdom that there are people who are having children. And it mentions that these are the people who survived the tribulation, the remnant Mm -hmm. of the Jews, among others, who have been brought in. And they are going to populate the millennial kingdom. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, we know that's the case because glorified people don't revolt against Jesus. And that's what happens with the remnant of those who were not glorified they come up against jerusalem in a final battle after the thousand years and it's like well there's nowhere for those people to come from if all unbelievers are out of the kingdom to start with and all believers are glorified there's mm-hmm. no place for people to procreate because none of them have natural bodies anymore mm-hmm. so the post trip for me that just throws it right out the window because it can't mechanically work yeah
1: yeah good good point i know we're 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 finalizing here but we always like to throw out or every now and then we'll throw out some some references to really understand the views of the end time there's a rose um, publication which we use Mm. it here at, at calvary bible college it's called four views of the end times christian views on the second coming and they will outline a little bit of what we just said but as we've talked about in the positive of where calvary stands i mentioned final act by pastor chuck yes um, Dwight Pentecost. Oh yes, he's um, a, a, a great Baptist um uh, pastor. He has uh, a, another book. Uh, Walvrud, John Walvrud has another Baptist pastor. He has uh, a book about the end times as well. And so we would encourage people to study, to dig deep, to learn the sides, and then really study Scripture and determine where you stand.
0: Absolutely. And if you didn't already know. Calvary College is a pre-tribulational institution, as is Calvary Church, and we follow the lead of Pastor Skip on that, who, of course, in the tradition of Pastor Chuck Smith Mm -hmm. and many of the Calvaries hold to a pre-tribulation rapture. So we do that unapologetically, and we do believe that there's a firm exegetical basis for that, just to finally answer the question. Now, speaking of questions, if you have any additional questions, as you can tell, we tackle some doozies here. We're glad to do it because we want you to be able to know what the Bible says and be able to point yourself to some resources. By all means, reach out to us, write to us at calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. Again, that's calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. Again, this has been Squawk, and thank you for listening. Till next time, God bless.